0: welcome to voices in between the podcast with international voices on education and diversity this is christoph knoblauch meeting educational experts and discussing perspectives in between ideas of true and false hello everybody i'm here with julie gaffney today from fordham university in new york and we have a very special interest topic today which is pandemic languages well, great to be here, and thanks for having me um, to talk about this uh, current phenomenon that also has roots and resonances um, in an experience from from several centuries ago. Uh, so, I have a kind of an interesting role at Fordham in that I direct our Center for Community Engaged Learning and lead a lot of community relations for the university. And also I teach in our English department. Uh, I have a PhD in English literature, and I'm a specialist in uh, 14th century English literature, poetry, narrative. Um, And so what I'm gonna talk about comes out of one of the courses I've been teaching here. Uh, which is on pandemic stories from the 14th century and uh, right now. Um, So many of us had the experience during the pandemic of, uh, you know, either for comfort or to pass time going into, you know, our uh, streaming service of choice (laughs) and um, watching television. You know, we had uh, shows like Tiger King that maybe would not have had the same kind of success had they come out in November, uh, (laughs) 2019. Um, Really becoming a kind of a cultural touchstone Um, Some of it was about timing, but I think some of it was about the kinds of stories that captured our interest at that particular moment. I mean, it doesn't take Dr. Freud to think about caged animals uh, being a really kind of apt metaphor for, for a lot of us during those early days of the pandemic when we were Um, confronting something unknown and uh, also confronting a kind of a lack of personal freedom um, in service of what we hoped uh, was kind of social good social protection Um, so you know I think a lot of us we could talk about you know if you ask anybody on the on the subway here in New York like oh what did you watch during the pandemic you're gonna um, a lot of people have really kind of strong visceral responses and memories um to that time and um for me this this was really poignant because this is not the first time that a pandemic has um brought out or prompted a kind of a a set of stories or a kind of storytelling and even a kind of a language um so uh the the bubonic plague of course um in the fourteenth century was a kind of a population um event the likes of which contemporary people have have really no experience with um so urban populations in uh, in Europe um, died at at the rate of you know, between 30 and 50%, some some cities, uh, even an even higher percentage of the population died. And within a really short period of time, within the span of three to seven years. Um, and I do actually think this is where our uh kind of apocalyptic genre um a lot of the this imagery of like a zombie apocalypse i think it does come from having experienced as a as a world as a um as a society this this incredibly um traumatic uh time period um and many people thought that we had some culpability right uh that it was because of human sinfulness or because of um of human expansion beyond the bounds of what we were expected or anticipated to do um our overreaching right that this was kind of a a common theme that had brought on either sort of scientifically or um you know had incurred the wrath of 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 a deity of of god um And so you have in the years following, in the decades following um, the bubonic plague and this um, destruction of the European population, an emergence of uh, and a necessity for a new kind of a society. Um, You have, for instance, um, changes in the way that work is done Um, because there are so many there there are fewer laborers, many, many fewer laborers, you start to see a breakdown in the stratification of um, social hierarchies. You see workers demanding higher wages and you see actually kind of dilated opportunities Um, for people who did not have uh, the opportunities to do particular kinds of work. For instance, women became entrepreneurs, maybe took on, um, in the way that, for instance, uh, American women during World War II took on a lot of gendered roles that typically were given to men uh, or or were only authorized uh, for men. In the same way, you see women in Britain um, and elsewhere um, brewing beer, uh, running their own uh, import-export operations, um, s- creating and selling cloth, uh, becoming merchants. Um, and you also have members of um, various social castes um, moving through uh, increased financial well-being, uh, purchasing titles, for instance, um, and and moving through what, what had been a, a century previous, um, a much more stratified s- structure. Um, and so this brought with it, you know, it, kind of a, a sense of expanded possibility that people, in my view, imported into their social lives as well and into their own sense of who they were. You see, uh, and, and I think you see this, Recorded in the literature, especially written in the English vernacular, that comes um, 10, 20, 30, 40 years following the bubonic plague in the second half of the 14th century. Um, you see, for the first time, a literature that takes seriously, uh, for the first time in this particular time period, um, that takes seriously the possibilities for queer identity, for instance. You see, Um, a different kind of framing of race and ethnicity um, when we look at the poetics of Chaucer or Gower. Um, And I think that this is in response to um, the expansive possibilities that are allowed for by, um, you know, the changes wrought by the pandemic. But also, they're allowed for or they are made possible, they're also constituted by the language in which they are told. And that is a, a vernacular English language. In Britain, it's Middle English. This is a language that had been spoken by everyday people that people would use, for instance, for household manuals, for writing recipes. Um, you know, certainly there's a tradition of, um, of songwriting of poetry sometimes of body stories um but for the first time in the second half of the 14th century you see that language uh employed for um writing stories that have theological import for stories that interpret uh, scripture for narratives that bring together theological philosophical um ideas that were typically cordoned off and uh, only written about and talked about in Latin now into a language that can be read aloud around the fireplace, around the dinner table, um, that becomes simultaneously entertaining. These are really fun stories to hear about, but that also offer many, many more people Um, the opportunity to, for instance, think about what their faith means to them um, as an individual rather than as a cog in this sort of um, church structure. Um, And so you have this expansiveness kind of in a symbiotic relationship with the language that both communicates it and that constitutes it. Um, And what's really kind of stunning for English speakers around the world that I think many people don't know about is that particular Middle English, the Middle English that was spoken and that was written uh, in London and around London is the uh, direct, um, uh, it, it is the English that becomes modern English. Um, there are other dialects, there are northern dialects, when you read The Pearl Poet, for instance, um, but it's that London vernacular that becomes modern English. And so the language that we speak now, the language that Shakespeare wrote in, the language that um, that that now is a, you know, a comfort for, for good or not so good, a common language throughout the world is constituted by this post-pandemic moment. Um, and so in a way our responses to the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, the way that we've been talking about it when we're speaking English, and I think this is true of other European languages as well. I just happen to be an expert in the English side of it. It is a pandemic language. Um, and, and so we're in a way primed to respond again to uh, this kind of um, devastating event that also offers um, some expansive potentiality. It's not as though we would ever want a pandemic, right? Certainly people in the 14th century didn't. Certainly we don't now. But we do have to acknowledge that um, there are uh, opportunities to reevaluate the way that we think about justice and human rights that come out of um, this kind of upheaval and, um, and change. Um, and so what I would say uh, and what I, what I invite my students to say is to think about are two things. One is what are the stories that we're telling now? Um, what kind of insight do those stories give us into um, this particular historical moment that we are part of and that we're creating? Um, and two, what is Then you know, what is this moment giving birth to? If we think, for instance, about all of the anxiety around um, artificial intelligence, around chat, GPT in higher ed, and and more broadly, this is a new language. It's a a new way of making meaning um, that is coming out of a particular historical moment characterized by upheaval and then by a new reckoning around social justice. Um, People in the 14th century were also really worried about the vernacular. Um, People who, for instance, translated the Bible into uh, vernacular, the Wycliffeites and Lollards, were killed (laughs) for that. Um, And so I think we see a lot of fear around new systems of making meaning, new systems of language, Um, and I think it's really worth interrogating that fear and looking at where is this coming from and then what is the potential because these new languages for all of our attempt to cordon them off or to uh you know govern them to tell our students that they can't use them to write their papers like they're here this is this is this is this is happening um and this is going to be something that uh, that people will look back on as emerging out of this particular moment. So I think we have a, actually a tremendous capacity at this time to um, to notice what's going on, to learn from um, previous moments in history where we've seen uh, this kind of expansive popul- um, this kind of expansive possibility. Um, and to be able to to shape it, to point it in the direction of of change for social good, of justice, um, and um, and and not kind of in the other direction. Um, we want to promote human rights. We want to employ this new kind of meaning making um, to the end of of flourishing for as many people as possible. Thank you so much for, for this very, very special and very deep insight, uh, Voice In Between. Thank you very much, Julie. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening. Looking forward to meet you back on Voices In Between.